Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. More information about Lifehouse and our senior pastors, Richard and Helen Kabakian, can be found at lifehouse.com.au. We hope you enjoy the following message. The title of my message this morning is Remember. That's it. Remember. Nothing catchy. It's not, uh, you know, it's not uh, going to be a slogan uh, that they're going to make uh, T-shirts out of. But it's, it's simple, but it's simple for a purpose. It's because I think uh, we need to remember a couple of things, okay? I've got three points this morning that I'd love for us to remember. Number one is who our God is. Two, what our God has done. And number three, what God says he's going to do. I went to a physio couple of months ago. It's not a regular thing for me to go to the physio, but a couple of months ago I was experiencing some back pain. So I thought, well, go to the physio and uh, get it sorted out. So I I showed up to my appointment and I was a little bit early. As you do, um, go into the waiting room. And as I sat in the waiting room, uh, I started to look around and uh, observe the plaques that the physio had on the wall, his qualifications, his degrees, Um, He had a plaque there. He was a physio to the Socceroos at the 2006 World Cup, which is a a pretty good notch uh, on the belt. But it had his degrees up there. And what sort of caught my eye or caught my attention more than the actual degree was actually the date on the degrees. And it was from early 80s. It was like 83, 84. Um, And the reason that it sort of um, caught my attention was the fact that I was born in 1986. So I sat there in the waiting room and it dawned on me that this man who's about to work on my back and hopefully fix my back has been doing his trade, he's been plying his trade longer than I've been walking on the planet. So I was sitting there and I was thinking, well, that's a great effort. Like this guy obviously, you know, to to be doing it for that many years, he he would know what he's doing, He'd, he'd have the experience. I mean, he's been with the soccer team at the World Cup, so you've got to know what you're doing. So I went into the... Um, into the, the room, his, his consult room, and he said to me, he said, Matthew, what, what, what's going on? Why, why are you here today? And I explained to him that I was having some issues with my lower back. And I explained to him that, you know, I'm feeling pain in the lower back, but it's shooting down through my glutes and I'm feeling pain in my legs. And he said, oh, okay, all right, we'll jump on the table and, and um, away we go. Now, I felt like I explained my symptoms and I explained what was going on pretty well. Okay, so about 10 to 15 minutes into um, the, the um, appointment, he's working on the middle of my back. Now, I've got my head in the hole, as, as you do when you get a massage. You put your head in the hole and, and you start, well, some, some people fall asleep. I have fallen asleep there before. Uh, that happens. Um, but I'm, I'm putting my head in the hole while he's working the middle of my back. And I'm having this conversation with myself in my head. And I'm thinking, why is he working the middle of my back? I thought I was clear. I thought I was concise. The pain is in my lower back and it's shooting down into my legs. Why is he working on the middle of my back? And I was getting frustrated and I got to a point where I'm like, do I say something? Like, did did he forget? I mean, he's been doing this a long time. He's a little bit older. Maybe he's forgotten. Um, And I'm sitting there and I'm having this conversation with myself. Now, I love the whole experience of going to the physio. I love going into the room. He puts the, the, the peaceful music on and it's just a really relaxed um, environment. And the thing with experience is while he was working um, my muscles, he knows when something's going to hurt. And he actually gives me warning and says, okay, Matt, this is going to feel a little bit tender. And then he'll work the muscle and 
lo and behold, it feels a bit tender and you squirm a little bit. But generally, it's for the better good. So he's working the middle of my back. My head's in the hole. I'm having this, this argument with myself. Do I say something? Do I not? And all of a sudden, he says, Matt, this is going to feel a little bit tender. And I'm thinking, well, why? You're not even working the right spot. And all of a sudden, he works this part in the middle of my back and I feel this release go through my lower back and down into my legs. And I feel the pain just release um, from the muscle. And then just in, in, in like a split second, it all came back to me, the plaques on the wall. This man has been doing his trade longer than I have been on this planet. But in the matter of 10 to 15 minutes, with my head in a hole, I've all of a sudden forgotten that. I've thought my 10 to 15 minutes of pain, of me thinking he's not doing the right thing, has um, counterbalanced or outweighed this man's 36, 37 years of um, experience. And I thought, well, Matt, like, wake up. He's the expert. He's the man with the plaques. He's the man who's been doing this for a long time. He knows what he's doing. And lo and behold, back was fine, um, pain went away, and I probably need to go and see him again soon. But what God said to me in that moment is, how often do you do that to me? How often do we think that we know better than God? I mean, some of us have been on this planet 20, 30, 40, 70, 80. I don't know if anyone in our church is 110 years old, but let's just go to the extreme and say, maximum 110 years old, okay? So we've been on this earth for however many years, 30, 40, 110 years. And sometimes we try and make our um, ideas or our thoughts or our um, rely on our knowledge from our however many years and try and counterbalance that with God's infinite knowledge, with his infinite wisdom. And sometimes we, we lean and we rely on what God has um, we lean and we rely on our own knowledge and try and take guidance from that instead of just trusting what God has done and trusting who God says he is. You know, God is more qualified than anybody to be God. That's why he has the position. He is God because he's the best being qualified to be God. You know, he knows what is happening. Just because the world might be shocked or unaware or caught by surprise, right now um, because of the events that are going on. You know, God isn't. God, this has not crept up on God. God hasn't, um, you know, he hasn't broken the emergency glass. He hasn't thought, oh, where's the contingency plan? I don't know what's going on. God is in total control. And we've heard multiple times um, throughout the last uh, couple of weeks and months that he's still on his throne. And, and that's what the, the first point that I really want us to remember this morning. Let's constantly remember who our God is. Let's remember that he's the one we love, he's the one we worship, he's the one that we serve and why it is that we serve him. The second point that I'd like us uh, to, to look at or to remember is to remember what God has done. Now, I want to ask you a question. How often do you look at the scoreboard? And you might think, well, I don't like sports, so I don't, I don't look at scoreboards, but, but just hear me out for a second. Just hear me out for a second, okay? How often do you reflect on all the good things that God has done in your life? And what I mean by that is a scoreboard is a reflection of what's happened in the past relative to now. You can't look at a scoreboard and see the future. It doesn't tell you the future. It only tells you the past and what has happened. So, for example, one team's kicked six goals, one team's kicked three goals. That's what shows up on the scoreboard. You don't look at the scoreboard at half time and see the score 
at the end of the game. It's relative to what has happened in the past. And my question to you today is, how often do you look at the scoreboard? How often do you look back in your life at what God has done, at where he has come through, at the challenges that you've been able to overcome? And I'd like to encourage you, if that's not something that you do, make it a habit. Make it a habit. Write down what he has done in your life um, so that you can go back and look at, and, and it'll actually encourage you for what he is going to do in the future. You know, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This verse tells us what God can do. This is what he does, okay? He can go exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. So for example, if the maximum that you can think or ask is that, God can go to that. He's got that in him. In fact, that's what he does. He goes over and above our expectations. Now, a lot of you um, would know um, the journey that Carla and I went on to have children, but some of you won't. And and I want to share that story with you this morning. So Carla and I got married um, and we had um, both working full time. So we had, um, you know, plenty of disposable income. And when things would come up in our lives, for instance, if we wanted a new car, we'd buy it. If we wanted to go on a holiday, we'd go on a holiday. If we wanted to build a house, we'd build a house. And we were lining up our lives and we were pretty much in, in total control of what we wanted. So according to our plan, it was, okay, we booked a European holiday, our house was um, about to be finished, and we thought, well, when we come back from Europe, we're going to start having kids, you know, a couple of months and we'll be pregnant, and then our timeline's just working its way along as we planned. Well, it didn't really go that way, and we went on a three-year journey of um, trying to have children, um, there was a, a miscarriage in there, and it was quite a rough journey for, for my wife and I. My wife took it very hard. Uh, me, as uh, the man in the relationship, to seeing my wife like that and not being able um, to help her, um, I took that really hard and, and had some really robust and honest conversations with God um, th- throughout that journey. And I want to encourage you um, that if you are going through things, hey, have honest conversations with God. He can take it. He, can, he knows how you're feeling. He knows your thoughts. He knows um, what's going on inside. And just be real with him. I mean, he knows anyway. So, and it will do you um, a whole lot of good. So we went down the path of IVF. Um, again, I had a, having these conversations with God. I didn't think it was fair, God, that some people um, are becoming pregnant by mistake. Um, some people are, are getting married and, you know, they're just, oh, hey, we've, we're, we're, we're pregnant and, and we're happy we didn't even mean it and comments like that. And, and I'm thinking, well, I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars just for the chance to be a parent. So I was getting, you know, upset. I was getting angry. And I started to bargain with God. And some of you would have heard me share this before. Um, so, you know, when uh, you ask a parent, hey, what, what, what are you having? Uh, or what do you think you're going to have? What would you like? Would you like a girl or a boy? Now, the cliche answer is, hey, I just want 10 fingers and 10 toes. I want it to be healthy. And that, that's a great cliche and it's a great thing to ask for. Well, I started negotiating with God. And I said, look, Lord, at this point, I just want to become a parent. I mean, if it's got six fingers and eight toes, I'll be happy with that. 
Uh, so my all I could ask and think started to come in a little bit. I started to negotiate with God and what, what, where, where I went from 10 fingers and 10 toes, I started to go, hey, just give me six, give me eight. I don't mind. I don't mind if this, if this um, baby that you give us is fully healthy or if it's not. I just want to be a dad. I just want my wife the opportunity to be a mum. Now, the God of Ephesians 3.20 is a God who goes exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. And it turns out that I was negotiating the wrong way because while I was coming down to six toes or six fingers and eight toes, God actually went 20 fingers and 20 toes. And you might be thinking, well, what kind of alien did your um, wife birth? Well, it wasn't an alien, but it was two beautiful girls, identical twins, and here's a photo of them up on the screen, Zara and Ali, and I love them with all my heart. Um, But these girls are a constant reminder of God's goodness and his faithfulness to me. I call them my scoreboard because I look at them and they remind me of what he's done in the past and what um, or how faithful he is to me, how faithful he has been to me and how faithful he's going to be in the future. Now, does that mean that I still don't um, get attacked with thoughts and worries? No, I wish it did. I wish it disqualified me from all that, but it doesn't. But what it does provide is a reminder that, hey, this is what God has done in your life. Now, I'm sure that you have um, many instances where God has come through in amazing ways in your life. I mean, maybe there's health challenges that you've overcome. Maybe there's been family issues or maybe there's um, been marriage issues where the bags were packed and we were both heading our separate ways, but God intervened and he's now taken our marriage to a place where we couldn't imagine that this is where it would be. Well, that's what God does. Maybe it's in your career or in your business. Maybe it's with addiction, something that you thought, you know what, I'll never get a handle on this. I'll never get over it. But you know what? God came in and God made a way. And that's what I want us to remember this morning. That's my second point, to remember that God can go exceedingly above what we can ask or think. And I guess my favourite part of um, this story about my girls is once we found out that we were pregnant and having twins, um, our fertility doctor actually couldn't believe it. Um, he didn't understand the fact that we were having twins. And he, he said that, um, I remember the, um, the appointment clear as day. We went in there and he said, well, you must have fallen pregnant naturally and the egg that we put inside your wife has, has taken and formed um, another baby. So you've got, you've got two in there. And Carla and I were, were really pushing the issue that, no, no, that, that, that can't happen. But as he's reading the report... Uh, He kept saying, no, 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 you must have conceived naturally. And it got to a point where I said, hey, doc, unless my name's Joseph and her name's Mary and our donkey's parked downstairs, there is no way that we have conceived naturally and um, the IVF has worked. And his comment was, in my medical experience, I've never seen an egg split so late and form twins. I mean, that's God. That's how he works. He's the God of the exceedingly abundant. Let's not put God in a box. Let's not limit him to our human um, uh, limitations or or, or even what our mind can can fathom. Let's remember who our God is and what he has done uh, in the past. The third thing I'd like us to remember is what God will do. So we've, we've remembered who he is. We've remembered what he has done. But now I want us to focus on what God says he will do. Now, the verse I want to share with us 
uh, today comes from Second uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Now, this verse is spoken, or this, um, this dialogue is spoken by the prophet Hanani. Now, I'm sure I'm butchering that name. Uh, I think it could be said maybe with a more Middle Eastern Hanani or something along those lines. Um, but I'm sure he can forgive me and we can talk about it in heaven one day. But the prophet Hanani, he's actually not very well known. He's not one of these showtime prophets who has his own book or has done, you know, great miracles or anything. But in the little that he said, he's had a profound impact. And, you know, maybe that's an encouragement for someone that you don't need to be on the grand big stage um, to have an impact for the kingdom of God. But 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. Now, I really want to break this down because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot going on in this one verse. But let's start with looking at the eyes of the Lord. Now, we all understand when you have someone's eye contact, you have their attention. Um, Eye contact is important for acknowledgement. It's important for intimacy. It's important for comprehension. I mean, how annoying is it when you're having a conversation with someone and they're staring down at their phone? I mean, it's rude. And when I'm involved in situations like that, um, I just want to walk off on the conversation. Because I think, well, if you're not interested, why should I stand here and be interested? And my wife is saying, Matt, you do that all the time to me, so practice what you preach. Um, Could you imagine a wedding where a husband and wife were giving their vows and they're standing there and the husband is just looking up like that while the wife is uh, making her vows? I mean, eye contact is so important. We've all been told by our parents when they're telling us off, hey, look at me in the eye. I mean, I grab my daughters and try and get them to look at me in the eye when I'm telling them something. And even at three years old, I can hold their face in front of me and my daughter Zara does this. Not try, trying not to look at me in the eye. And it's quite frustrating as a parent, so please pray for me. Um, but eye contact is so important. Eye contact um, means attention, okay? And we actually have God's attention. The eyes of the Lord, this verse starts. And I guess let's look at what his eyes are doing. The next part, part of the verse says the, his eyes are running to and fro. So there's an energy here. There's an urgency about this. Now, I have this um, image of heaven in my head and it's not biblical. Um, I don't know how it stands theologically, but just hear me out. I imagine God's in heaven and he's got this big balcony that he looks over. And when he peers over the balcony, um, he just sees the whole universe. He sees um, everything, okay? And what I read here is his eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. So he stands... uh, on the edge of his balcony, and his eyes are patrolling. They are looking constantly. And I think sometimes we can get ourselves into the mindset that we think, well, is God really looking? We can think that, you know, he's sitting on his patio, on his sunbed with his Ray-Bans on, and every now and and again, he might just lift them up and and peer over and, oh, how are my children doing? Are they okay? Okay. And then go back to reading a book or something. But no, 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 that's not what God does. This verse tells us that his eyes are running to and fro. There's an urgency. There's, um, he's, he's patrolling. It's, it's not lackadaisical. Um, if you think of uh, the example of a lifeguard at the beach, I mean, they're not sitting there building sandcastles and every now and again peering over their shoulder. 
they're actually patrolling. They're looking to see, is there someone out there in distress? Is there somebody out there that I can help? So the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. I think that's a comfort to us. Throughout the whole earth means that we all qualify. There's nowhere that we can go that is too far from being able to access uh, God's attention. I mean, Psalm 139 verse 7, the psalmist writes, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I, free, where shall I flee from your presence? And some versions actually say, Where shall I flee from your sight? And I think David had divine revelation here um, of just a knowing that, hey, it doesn't matter um, how far I might feel or how far my thoughts might tell me I am from God's presence or from his sight. I'm never too far away. I'm never too far away to, to experience um, what he has for me or experience what he wants um, to give me. And what does he want to give us? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support. Strong support. This is what he gives to us. This is what he promises to give to us. This can be our expectation of him. And when you think about, uh, about support, Support is something to lean on. Support is something that takes the weight. If you think of a supporting beam in a building, if you think of um, crutches that you use to support your weight, um, this is what God gives us. He says, hey, come to me. Let me be your support. Don't be burdened. Don't, be, don't feel like you're heavy laden. Come to me. Um, Isaiah 61 says it, it's actually a real interesting um, piece of dialogue of what God actually does to us. And this is actually what Jesus read after he was tempted and he went into the synagogue and really started people getting upset at him, thinking, hey, who's this guy reading this about himself? But this is what um, it says in Isaiah 61, that God gives beauty for ashes. He gives joy for mourning. He gives a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Jesus himself, he says that those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. He says, come to me, those who are weary, those who are heavy laden. And what does he say? I will give you rest. That's in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You know, these don't seem like fair transactions. It feels like God's getting maybe the short end of the stick. God, you're taking my brokenness. You're taking my heaviness. You're taking um, my tiredness, my weariness, and you're giving me joy. You're giving me a garment of praise. You're giving me rest. It doesn't seem fair. Well, you know what? It's not fair. But God's happy to be on that side of the deal. That's how much He loves you. That's how much His love has extended to you. That you know what? He's willing to give you rest for your weariness. He's willing to give you support and you can go to Him whenever you like for that. I'd like to go back to the lifeguard example. Now, I've never been um, rescued by a lifeguard, but I've had friends and family members who have. Um, and I've never seen... Um, a lifeguard, before they're going out to save someone, um, call out on their loudspeaker and say, uh, how much do you have in your wallet before I come and, and rescue you? Or if I come and do this, where are you taking me out for dinner? That's not part of the job description. The lifeguard sees someone in distress and bang, they're in the water. They've got their surfboard or their ski and they're out there rescuing people. And you know what? I think sometimes we, we can disqualify ourselves and think, well, God, God's put some requirements in there that I can't just raise my hands and say, Lord, I need your support right now. But God just says, hey, my, my, my eyes are, are running throughout the earth 
to and fro, and I'm actually looking to give support to those who need it. And the only um, prerequisite or the only requirement for this is at the end of the verse. It's for those whose hearts are blameless towards him. Notice here how it doesn't say those whose actions are blameless towards him or those whose speech is blameless towards him or those whose thoughts are blameless towards him. What he says here is those whose hearts are blameless towards him. And I'm glad it's not actions, speech or thoughts because I don't qualify. And to be frank, neither do you and neither do any of us. But the fact that he says it's when our hearts are blameless towards him, that's something that you and I can't do. That's something that Jesus did through his work on the cross. And you might be um, new to Christianity or you might be tuning in for the first time this morning and thinking, how do I, how do I make my heart blameless towards him? How do I qualify? I, I want that, but I don't know how. Well, the good news is it's really simple. It's just praying a short prayer and accepting Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Saviour. Hi, I'm Richard Gabakian, pastor of Lifehouse Church just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message and I hope and pray that you feel that it's added value to your life. My greatest desire is to see people develop a personal relationship with Jesus, which can begin by praying a very simple prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer right now and if you'd like to begin that relationship, you can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I choose you as my only hope of being forgiven. Please come into my life and let me begin a relationship with you that will last for all eternity. If you've prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it and celebrate your fantastic decision. You can do that by sending an email to mydecision at lifehouse.com.au. We look forward to hearing from you.